Welcome. I'm Eric Fleming, host of A Moment with Eric Fleming, the podcast of our time. I want to personally thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like what you're hearing, then I need you to do a few things. First, I need subscribers. I'm on Patreon at patreon.com slash a moment with Eric Fleming. Your subscription allows an independent podcaster like me the freedom to speak truth to power and to expand and improve the show. Second, leave a five-star review for the podcast on the streaming service you listen to it. That will help the podcast tremendously. Third, go to the website, momenteric.com. There you can subscribe to the podcast, leave reviews and comments, listen to past episodes, and even learn a little bit about your host. Lastly, don't keep this a secret like it's your own personal guilty pleasure. Tell someone else about the podcast. Encourage others to listen to the podcast and share the podcast on your social media platforms because it is time to make this moment a movement. Thanks in advance for supporting the podcast of our time. I hope you enjoy this episode as well. Hello, and welcome to another moment with Eric Fleming. I am your host, Eric Fleming. So I hope that everybody has gotten back in the swing of things from the holiday. And despite some recent decisions from the court and some actions uh, taking place. I hope that people have re-energized and rededicated themselves. If you have not, then this podcast Maybe for you. You know, I listen to other people who do what I do. And you can sense the despair and the frustration and the anxiety in their voices and their commentary. Uh, some have gotten to the point of sarcasm with a dose of optimism. Uh, I've heard people call themselves realists. And I think, you know, that's associated with age, right? Because when you're young, you want to see things change. And you want to see massive change, right? You want to see the world categorically become better than what you see it as a youth or as a young adult. Then as you get older and the issue of mortality really is prevalent in your mind, you start accepting the fact that a lot of the things you want to see may not come in your lifetime or that you can only do so much. But I want people to understand that even though you can only do so much, do something. And the, the biggest thing that we have to work on is the spirit of divisiveness in the country. And so I wanted to start with a couple of quotes from President Lyndon Baines Johnson. Both of these quotes come from speeches or statements that he gave after the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. in April of 1968. The first quote says, we can achieve nothing 
by lawlessness and divisiveness among the American people. It is only by joining together and only by working together that we can continue to move toward equality and fulfillment for all our people. The second quote, which was more a reaction to not only the death, but the uprisings, riots, whatever vernacular you want to use, in the cities in reaction to the assassination of Dr. King. And just put yourself in that position. Here was a man who became the most powerful man in the world by an assassination of a president who was popular, if not in some sectors beloved. There are two wars going on in his administration. There's one domestically and one on the international scene, Vietnam. And so through the course of politics, President Johnson had developed a rapport with Dr. King. So this was more than just president acknowledging a major figure in American politics at the time. This was somebody he actually knew. This was somebody he actually met with. This is somebody he actually worked with. And so, and was very instrumental in getting the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act passed. So the first uh, quote that I gave you came from like a statement like, right, Mr. President, Dr. King has been shot. And it was almost obligatory that he said that. But, but the key word in that was dealing with the divisiveness in the nation. The next day, he said this in part of his statement. But this I do believe deeply. The dream of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. has not died with him. Men who are white, men who are black, must and will now join together as never in the past to let all the forces of divisiveness know that America shall not be ruled by the bullet, but only by the ballot of free and of just men. In these years, we have moved toward opening the way of hope and opportunity and justice in this country. We have rolled away some of the stones of inaction, of indifference, and of injustice. Our work is not yet done, but we have begun. So for a man of his stature, a man of his background, because he was from Texas, to rise to the occasion, literally over a hundred years after a similar gentleman in a similar position, really 105 years, uh, earlier had to rise to the occasion of dealing with a divided nation. And of course that man was Abraham Lincoln. 
It was it was a monumental shift. Because the politics of America dictates by those in what we call a polite society, the elite class, the wealthy, the powerful. It's it's dictated that America, if it moves forward, it has to be slow. It cannot be radical and it cannot be uncomfortable. But the very notion of change, the very notion of progress, the very notion of struggling to get to that progress is the antithesis of that. It has to be uncomfortable. It has to be challenging. It has to provoke. And so naturally, People, when they're provoked, resist. Especially those who have been comfortable. But the change has to happen. And I say the change has to happen because the promise has not been fulfilled. Never mind the realities of the people who push for independence of the colonies from the British Empire. The words that they wrote, the words that they spoke, resonate today in the sense that every person who lives in this nation right this minute is entitled to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Whether those people actually believe that or tried to categorize who were men and who were not, we know better now. And so those words apply to all of us. Therefore, we must do everything within our power to fulfill that obligation. Dr. King referred to that phrase as America's creed. Joe Biden, the president, refers to it as our ideal. President Obama referred to it as our goal. It's no different than those of us who are the Christian faith who understand that we won't attain true Christianity until we literally pass on to another dimension, another realm. But our goal is to achieve as much as we can while we are here in this realm, on this earth. And for those people who don't understand the gospel of democracy, that don't understand the gospel of freedom, are basically doing the devil's work. And I know I'd spoken before, and I'd said I was going to change it, and, I, and I'm gradually evolving into changing. Because initially I did not like the fact that there were people saying, well, one side is demonic and the other side is not. Right? And the other side is closer to God, all this stuff. And I still and I'm comfortable with it, but I do want to admonish people who think that it is okay to tell one group of people that their history is irrelevant, that they don't want their children to read books about it, that they don't want children to be taught it for fear of being uncomfortable. But that selfishness, that strive to keep on living with blinders on in the hope that if we don't acknowledge the past, then our future will be okay. That's what the devil wants us to do. That's what Satan wants us to do. Those that believe in that, right? 
if you don't believe in religious tenets, let me just make it as plain scientifically as possible. If you don't understand where you came from, you have no concept of where you are going. A GPS works two ways. A GPS tells you where your end destination is and how to get there, but the second thing is you have to have a starting point. You have to, you just can't emerge out of thin air and show up at your destination. You can't develop a route to get to your destination if there's no origin point. And when you deny people the opportunity to understand their origin point, you're creating confusion. You're creating misdirection. And if that is your intent, then that is the personification of evil. Because no person on this earth is supposed to be aimless. No person on this earth is not supposed to have purpose. All of us have a destiny. All of us have a fulfillment. And so, you know, and just discussing with people off the cuff and, you know, in in more casual situations, one of the things that really hit me was a revelation was that those of us that our practitioners of Christianity have an understanding that God created us as free will individuals, that we shouldn't be forced to accept his existence, that we shouldn't be forced to worship him or praise him, that it should come through our knowledge, our experience, To, to develop that kind of relationship with him. And so it's, it's amazing to me that there are people who in the political diaspora want to say that America is a free nation and America is a Christian nation. But when you try to hold back the free will of the citizens of this so so-called free Christian nation. It goes against the very principle that you tout. And understand that people who are elected to office are representatives, regardless of their title, whether it's president or whether it's literally on the city council these people represent their jurisdiction. If you're president, it's the whole nation. If you're on the city council, it's your ward, right? Or your district. But you're supposed to be a representation, right? And at the same time, you're also supposed to be a person that has a higher ideal, The concept of a representative democracy is that people are elected to serve in the best interest of their constituents, but they're also supposed to be leaders. They're supposed to be better than or more discerning even than the people that they've been given the charge to represent. They are supposed to ascend. They're not supposed to appeal to the lowest common denominator. They're not supposed to appeal to the fear. If anything, they are the people who are supposed to say everything is going to be okay. 
They are the people that say that we can get there. The ride might be a little bumpy. But we'll be all right. You know, and that that goes to. And speaking about that, that, that goes to a verse. That. Um, I think is indicative of. What I'm talking about. And it falls under First Peter 5. And the versions I use a lot of times when I do quote Bible verses is the new King James version. So if you use NIV or the original King James or even message, you know, you can find these verses and, you know, interpret it the way you want to. But a leader is supposed to say something like this. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. That's how a leader is supposed to talk to his constituents because we get it. We know that change is uneasy. It can be unsettling, but it is our job to explain to the masses, explain to the people that elected us that everything is going to be okay. And despite all of the struggles that may be happening, all the hardships that may be going on, we're going to get through it. In the adage of the classic civil rights song, we shall overcome. There's a reason why they said that. And I know a lot of people are like, I'm tired of hearing that and blah, blah. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. I, I get your impatience. But instead of looking at it as a cliche, look at it as your daily objective. In order for you to survive in this world, in order for you to make a difference in this world, you have to overcome whatever this world throws at you. And I, I, I put a quote out on Twitter that made an analogy to a hurdler. It's like a hurdler doesn't stress or object over the hurdles. They just go over them, right, in order to get to the finish line. The lane that you are in, there are hurdles. Before you get to the first line, you have to jump over each one of those hurdles to make it. And so in order to complete the race. And so that's where we are in this systemic racism that we deal with as black people in America. There are hurdles and we have to figure out a way to get over them, to get to where we want to be. And we need to have leaders to remind us that no matter what hurdles we face, history dictates that we have the propensity, the talent, the ability, 
the capability to overcome each and every one of them. There is no way a people who lost hundreds of thousands of its community just in what we call the Middle Passage, coming from Africa to various points in the New World, the, the Caribbean, the, the North America, right? And then endure hundreds of years of bondage. And then on top of that, nearly a couple of hundred years of policy oppression to get to a point now where black folks were being sold on Wall Street. Now black people are running companies that are traded on Wall Street. Do, do y'all understand what I'm saying to you, right? Those of us that push for progress are not denying that progress hasn't happened as a lot of black conservatives would like to accuse us of. They'll say, oh, well, you, you know, we've made progress. And even to the point of denying that the infrastructure that we fight every day doesn't exist anymore. Right. But the reality is that those of us who are pushing for a goal, as the Apostle Paul says, pressing for the higher mark. Since we haven't achieved it yet. We still have to keep making progress. We can't just settle for where we are right now. There are 500 Fortune 5 companies and eight black CEOs, right? That's a very low percentage. Press to the mark to get to 100. That's 25%. Just 100. Right? Right? But that's a goal that we can push toward. Even better, it would be cool if in those Fortune 500 companies, those businesses that these black CEOs are over are black businesses, businesses that either they started or some black family started and they've taken it to the level where now it is a Fortune 500 company. There are still goals that we have to achieve if you even just want to deal with capitalistic terms, right? And, and we have had success in business. We have had success in politics. We have had success in religion. We have had success in education. We've had success in medicine, but we still are pressing for the higher mark. And there's no way that we can get there divided, right? And so the flip side of that is that white America or those folks that have been classified as white America, right, has to do the same thing. And you say, well, Brother Fleming, how, why do white people need to press? They're in charge. White people are in control. It's their world. What mark are they pressing for? Their mark is to press for an obligation that their ancestors gave them. They are pressing for a mark that their ancestors fought for. See, we just talked about Independence Day. We just talked about the 4th of July, right? And the whole purpose of the celebration is to celebrate the day that it became official that we sent a resolution to the king of the largest empire in the world and said, we don't want to be a part of your tyranny anymore. We don't, we want, we want to govern ourselves. We have earned 
that right. It is the natural progression of humanity to express our free will. Right? And then where we come in as black folks is that we were pushing for the same thing to be from bondage to be free men. Right? But on the white side, their goal was to leave tyranny. Their goal was to leave religious tyranny. Their goal was to leave financial tyranny. Their goal was to leave political tyranny. But now, the tyranny is in-house. It's self-imposed and it encompasses their race. They use their own self-described, self-adjudicated, self, what's the word I want to use? Uh, Policy-driven philosophy to create a tyranny amongst them. And I'll get into that on the other side. And so we are back. So Eric, Bro, Fleming, you left off talking about these white folks are suffering from tyranny imposed on themselves. What in the world are you talking about? Right? So let me just make that plain. The ideology of white supremacy is tyrannical. It is authoritarian. It is totalitarian in its concept. It is subjugating the very people that are supposed to quote unquote benefit from it into submission. Excuse me. White supremacy goes against every tenant that human beings, regardless of their level or commitment to faith, are wired for. Remember when I talked about in in a previous Bible Bible verse that there is a brotherhood and in essence, there's a brotherhood of suffering and there's a brotherhood of love and peace. Right. And we all encounter challenges in order to get better. One of the classic sayings from the Bible, a proverb, iron sharpens iron. Right. And so we have to deal with things that challenge us in order to make us better. Whether it's physical limitation, mental limitation, societal limitation. In order for us to be a more perfect union, in order for us to be more perfect human beings, we have to face those challenges head on. And one of the biggest challenges in the white community is how do we navigate through white supremacy which gives us white privilege and be comfortable with it, right? Because I don't know if I was born in a society where the advantage was different that black people made white people slaves, grabbed them from the continent of Europe and 
enslaved them for 400 years. We built a economic power tapping into their resources and, and whether it was physical resources or the minerals and, and, and byproducts of their earth, their soil that made us an empire or made us a, a power in a short span of existence, right? Less than a thousand years. We were able to achieve this wealth and this status in the world. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if I would be as open-minded as I am now. And I'm just real talk because there's no way I could really fully assess that hypothetical because I've never been in that position. I have never been in that position where just my mere existence gave me a feeling of superiority and comfort over anybody else. Right? I never had a system, not even in my own household <laughs> set up where I got certain advantages that other people did not. Right? I had to wash dishes. I had to take out the trash. I had to do chores, right? I had to go to work if I wanted to have money. I didn't have an advantage, right? Everything that I had to get, I had to earn. And if I couldn't do it by myself, I needed help, right? So, I never had a system. So it's hard for me in my mind to comprehend what it would be like in, if I did. Just the mere birth gave me an advantage over somebody else based on their birth, right? Which was one of the arguments against having a quote-unquote monarchy here because as I've alluded to before most of the monarchies in Europe and in other parts of the world were based on this premise of divine rule that God gave them their royal authority and that's why it stays within those houses or families, right? So the colonists were like, there's a lot of us who were born and we're all children of God, so therefore we should all have a divine right to govern ourselves. And there were other great societies that had empires that didn't have a monarchy, but the people had a say-so, whether it was a true democracy or a, repre a representative democracy, a democratic republic, where people were designated to represent our wishes. That seemed to do pretty well in history for a time because everything has a clock. Right. So America was founded against that concept of certain people having a special authority over them. But as we look at history and the evolution of this nation, we see that we have created an aristocracy. We have created a monarchy based on race. And that concept of race was based off of fear. And fear is the main ingredient in divisiveness. Divide and conquer, right? But the very victims of their fear are not just the people who the quote-unquote people in power impose their will on. 
it's the very imposition people that are dealing the the imposers themselves is what I'm trying to say. People who are imposing their will on it, but they're victims too. There's an old adage in the black community. It's like, if you sit on me, it's true. I can't go anywhere, but you're not going anywhere either. Right? So if your main focus is to control a group of people, then you have to tend to that. You can't trust that your control can govern itself. You have to maintain that control. So whatever progress you want is stymied because you traded progress for control. Right? So let me let me read you this verse. This comes from Romans 16. It says, For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. How many times have we watched in the political discourse? people manipulate words and phrases in order to promote an agenda so they can maintain control. We literally see that every day, right? The latest iteration is the control of the word woke. Two years ago, Black Lives Matter. Flip that around that all lives matter. Uh, even mundane things like the estate taxes, the death tax, right? Those are smooth words. Those are cunning definitions. And they cater to folks who don't know any better or don't have the efficacy to understand the difference or read between the lines. The majority of people in this country are just trying to make it every day. Overwhelming majority. They're trying to go to work. And if they don't have work, they're trying to find it. Their children are trying to be educated. And if they reach a certain point, they're trying to find work. They want to be in safe neighborhoods. And they want to have a sense of community. They want to have peace and tranquility. They don't want people breaking in houses. They don't want people shooting in neighborhoods. They don't want their dogs being kidnapped or brutalized. Simple things. People just want to live in harmony, which is the concept, right? But they have responsibilities too. And so what we find is that most people are more, well, they prioritize comfort over their responsibility. And therefore they take shortcuts in their responsibilities. So a person that they like, a person that, you know, speaks well or is, pretty engaging or dynamic. They'll just flock to them instead of being responsible enough to say, maybe that's too good to be true. Right? And in society itself, 
when you have a country that has been giving you an advantage, right? That you don't want to put in people that are going to lessen that advantage or, or take it away. So when somebody addresses that fear and says that these people are trying to replace you, you're going to resist to that. Now, we know that over time, because of mortality, we're no longer going to be here individually. But while we are here collectively, we want to remain relevant. Right? Because as the French proverb goes, the absent are always wrong. So if we're not in the conversation, it's our fault. That's what black people have been going through the whole time. When you, when you leave us out of the conversation about economics, when you leave us out of the conversation about education, when you leave us out of the conversation about social constructs and politics, then you'll turn around and say it's our fault. Or there's a reason why you can't be. Right? Instead of following the principle and the guides that were laid out in the Declaration of Independence and in the Constitution. Again, regardless of what these people did as individuals, what they wrote on paper is binding. Right? I mean, we just had a court ruling that said that a thumbs up emoji is binding. If I give you terms to a verbal contract via text message and you give me the thumbs up emoji, that means you agreed to it. You signed off on it, according to a particular judge. <laughs> right? It's binding. So when these people deliberately wrote these words in 1776 and 1789, regardless of what that climate was, regardless of the mindset, the the, the actions of those people those contracts are binding we the people in order to form a more perfect union establish justice domestic tranquility right that's it's binding Secure the blessing of liberty. Promote the general welfare. That's binding. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's binding. That's an obligation that we as a society have to fulfill. And in the immortal words of Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. Because those words are binding, that's power. And we have a responsibility to wield that power fairly, equitably, judicially, or judiciously, right? We have that responsibility. And so when we get caught up in being comfortable instead of being responsible, we allow distance. We allow division. When Jesus was in the midst of casting a demon out of an individual and the Pharisees saw this, their argument was, 
that he's connected with some demon. I think Beelzebub or something like that. He's he's got to be connected to something because we've never seen a holy person. None of us have been able to do what he just did. Right? And and we're believers in the law. And this dude just told that demon to get to stepping and he's gone. So he said he has to be related to that demon in some way in order to communicate with that demon to the, for that demon to understand that it's time for him to go. Right? This was Jesus' response to them. But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. That's where Abraham Lincoln got that phrase from. Matthew 12, 25. And he was in the midst of watching a country in his mind, going through desolation. Demolition, if you will. Because the country was at war with itself. Excuse me. And the and the battle was white supremacy versus the end of slavery. Now, initially, the rhetoric was states' rights versus the preservation of the union. But as the battle heated, and as the tides were ebbing and flowing as far as who was winning, the truth came out. And this was a battle of white supremacy versus the abolishment of slavery. And so Lincoln was in the middle of all that. His Basically his tenure in office was dealing with that conflict. So when he stood and he said, a house divided against itself will not stand, he was invoking God to intervene. He was using word from the Bible to convey a message. And again, it doesn't matter if you are of faith or not. For you to understand that if you don't have unity of purpose, you're going to have divisions of chaos. Everybody's going to be doing their own thing. And it's not just the situation of black versus white. It's a situation of black versus black and white versus white. Right? And to be fair, you can throw in any group of people in the United States and substitute the black part. But as somebody who is black, as somebody who is African-American, I believe my purpose, my goal, my desire is to prioritize the uplift and the level of dignity for my people. I will make alliances with anybody who wants to help me in that because the truth of the matter is Whatever benefits me is going to benefit everybody. But I have to be honest. And it's not because I'm racist. It's not because I think I'm better than anybody else. It's my experience. And like I said, it's my calling. And so I think that all of us should have that kind of a mindset to make sure that their people are given the opportunities and the dignity that they deserve as human beings on this planet. 
Well, we can't do that if we're divided. And I wanted to say this, and we, since we're talking about black folks. Robert Smalls made our case years ago. Now, if you don't know who Robert Smalls is, Robert Smalls is a Civil War hero. He literally stole a Confederate boat <laughs> and turned it over to the Union Army, right? And in the process, freed his family and some of his friends who were also slaves. He later became a prominent U.S. congressman during Reconstruction. And he said this on the floor of the United States Congress. He said, my race needs no special defense for the past history of them in this country proves them to be equal of any people anywhere. All they need is an equal chance in the battle of life. Here we are literally over a hundred plus years later still having to make that case, still having to say, look, we don't need nothing special. We just need an equal chance. And in the vernacular of our time, just leave us alone. Stop denying us opportunities to do what we want to do. If we want to buy a house in the suburbs, cool. Don't put all these barriers like credit scores and uh, revert, uh, um, what was it, ARMs and all this other stuff, these crazy mortgages. Don't, don't do all this stuff. Don't create barriers. Don't redline us. Just let us live where we want to live. Let us work where we're capable of working. Let us go to school where we want to go to school, right? Let us pursue professions that we want to pursue. Let us dream the way we want to dream. Let us raise our families the way we want to raise our families. Because we want to be in safe neighborhoods too. We want to have comfort in our life. And if the system is designed where the philosophy is that anybody can attain as much wealth as legally possible, right, in a legal way, then what's the whole deal about restrictions? Why say that you want laissez-faire economics until it comes to us? You don't want the government telling you what to do as far as paying taxes or establishing your business or what products you put out or how, even how much pollution you emit. You don't want the government telling you any of that. But you want the government to tell who can go into business? Who... You want the government to tell you who you can do business with? I mean, the hypocrisy is very, very stark. And so because you have this duality of I want to be free, but I don't want anybody else to be free. Guess what? You're not free. And until you get into a mindset that people are people, regardless of whether we keep a race classification or not, right? Regardless of whether we keep a gender classification or not. Let's, let's be real. Let's keep talking, right? People, the objective is people need to be free in a free society. Your personal faith will govern your actions. 
Because if you really wanted the church to control everything, then why did you fight a war to get away from a country that had already established a church for you? And if one Christian denomination was okay, then you already all should be Episcopalians because that's what the Church of England is. But you wanted to have the freedom to be a Baptist. You wanted to have the freedom to be a Methodist. You wanted to have the freedom to be a Lutheran. Okay. Then why can't people be free to live the lives they want to live? You got what you wanted. So again, <laughs> and I hate that I only have an hour, right? Or a little more or less. But people, it, the gospel of freedom, the gospel of democracy, and for those of you who may not know, gospel is a Greek word that means good news. So let me break it down this way. The good news of freedom, the good news of democracy is that in a society that truly adheres to those principles, there are no barriers for people to achieve their best selves. Right? It allows them to have an equal chance in the battle of life. And I make a lot of sports analogies. So just imagine if you understand the concept of golf, right? The concept of golf is you as the individual golfer are supposed to play a course in the least amount of strokes it takes to complete it. So say an average course, it'll take you 72 strokes. Your objective is to complete it in 72 strokes or less, right? Now, the course is designed for that not to be easy. There's hills and bunkers and water and trees and undulation and all this other stuff, rough, if you will, to create obstacles for you to achieve that, to not make it easy, right? And that's life. You see your goal but you have to navigate around all the obstacles placed between you and that goal to achieve it. And in golf, you get 18 opportunities to achieve your goal. In life, you got one to achieve that ultimate goal that you want. You may have more than one, but theoretically, one. Now, even though you quote unquote compete with other people, if you're a professional golfer, nobody interferes with your battle with that course because they're in their own individual battle. But just imagine if you're out there golfing and the competitor is allowed to hit you while you're swinging or throw water on you or tase you or kick the ball from where it originally landed. Just imagine if they could interact like that, right? How much tougher would it be for you to complete that course in 72 strokes? That's what black people experience. <laughs> it's tough enough as an individual, as a human being on this planet to live life naturally to deal with the natural obstacles that have to take place. Failure, uh, disappointment, death, you know, accidents, just natural stuff that happens, right? But now you throw in government regulations and policies. Now you throw in ideologies. Now you throw in violence. And that makes it harder 
right? So all we are asking is that we're allowed to express and enjoy the gospel of democracy, to enjoy the gospel of freedom without your interference. We want to experience life the way it's meant to be experienced. There will, even if you take away government and all this other stuff, people still have to live life because people were living life before the United States even existed. And they were dealing with challenges, whether they were a farmer or a blacksmith or a store vendor, whatever. People had challenges. A sailor, whatever. There were, were challenges in everyday life in, to, in order to achieve what they wanted to achieve. They didn't need the element of other people hindering them. And until we in the United States get that message in a universal, clear way, none of us, none of us will truly feel and truly enjoy, appreciate that gospel of freedom and democracy. Until next time.